Well, good morning again, church. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you, uh, you found a Viking ship to get here this morning. Uh, I'm happy to see you, and uh, hopefully you will not look at this time as time that was spent in vain, but time that was extremely valuable, and it was not wasted by any means at all. And so, in order for it to be valuable, let's go to the Scriptures, because that's where we find value and worth, is there in the Word of God. So, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We are going to be in verses 16 through 20 this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, or... Uh, something happened, you dropped it in a puddle this morning, it's hard to read, whatever, Um, there should be a black hardback around you. And uh, it'll be on page uh, 785 in that hardback Bible uh, that you have. And it should be the same translation which I'm reading out of this morning, which is the ESV. Now, this morning's message is titled, titled, Follow Me. And that doesn't mean me, specifically, and you'll see why that's not me. Uh, that I want you to follow specifically. But I want to talk about followership this morning to begin with. And we currently have a technological age in which uh, following people is a pretty common phrase that we throw around, a pretty common thing that we talk about. There are apps that you probably have on your phone or maybe that you use or you don't know that you're even using that is tracking you across the landscape in which you live that there are apps in which can pinpoint your location, and even if you lose your phone, you can pinpoint where that phone is. There is a following that happens on social media platforms, such as Instagram and Twitter, and even live streaming that happens now, where people can view your life instantaneously along with you, however good or bad that might be. Now, we have a worldwide movement of this happening. This is not just an American idea or an American thing that's taking place. But across cultures and across our world, this is taking place. What we have are a connection to celebrities and to sports stars like we've never seen before. There's a following that happens um, like I think the world has never even comprehended would be possible. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, There's a soccer star named Cristiano Ronaldo. How many have actually heard of him? A few, okay. Okay. All right, a few of you. Um, But there's another 140-plus million people that have, and they follow him on Instagram. 140 million-plus people that follow that man on Instagram. Now, when we think of being a follower in today's culture, what does that really mean? I mean, 140-plus million people are following this one guy, but what does that mean to be a follower? It seems to mean that you get instantaneous updates on the person's life of the things in which they are wearing or not wearing, the mountain in which they are climbing or the beach in which they are on, or my least favorite, is the plate of food that is currently in front of them. Why? Can we stop doing that? Right? Why is this the idea of being a follower? When people talk about being a follower in today's culture, it's very distant, it's very, I think, faceless in what it means to be a follower of somebody. I think if you were to ask Ronaldo if he knew who the two millionth and one person was that was following him, I would almost guarantee he would say, I have no idea. Why is this? Why is it that he would more than likely have no idea who this person really is? And really, I think... In the idea of mass media and social media, of all this mass of people following other people, there's really no idea who these people are. 
either direction, whether it's the one being followed or the follower. I think there's only a skipping across the surface of a person's life of really knowing who they are. It's not really getting into really knowing who this person is. It's only just some statistics or some ideas about them or their favorite spaghetti dinner. They're not really things that are changing your life by you following them. What do, you, what do people usually post on social media? I think there's three categories. I think you have one category being the highlights. And that's the person that posts all the things of how great they are or how great their family is. And you see all the perfect pictures. And also they talk about the perfect vacation that they went on. You have the highlight people. And sometimes one person can go any of these three directions. Or you have this other category of one that is more like the low light person of everybody's terrible, their vacation was terrible, like everything's terrible in their life, and so they post all these terrible things about their life or about things that are happening in their life. And then I think you have a third category, and this is the fight picker, the one that likes to make political jabs at other people or just throw, they say, I'm just throwing this out there. You know what that means? I'm trying to start something, right? And so these people, they they like to just start fights, they throw out a comment, And it's not done in any kind of love or any kind of grace toward the other group. It's just, eh, let's just see what happens. Now, what is the response of people to these three things? There's following and unfollowing. We have now simplified life down into emojis in which we can just put a little heart or a little thumbs up or thumbs down to the situation. And we we show our following based upon emojis. But what we will see today from our text about following Jesus is is far more meaningful and far more impactful than what we are witnessing in today's culture. Something that is radically different than what we are experiencing in our culture today. The commitment that is required is more than just getting notifications on your phone about uh, where Ronaldo is vacationing this week. It is far more involved. The commitment in which Jesus calls his followers to is one of complete and total surrender. Again, like the song that we just sang about the complete surrender of our heart to God. This is not at all what our culture loves to do or loves to think of because we're really kind of fickle people. and We like to jump from one extreme to the other, from the highlight to the low light to the, uh, the political realm or the fight-picking realm of things. But this is not at all what Jesus is calling us to be as followers. Let's go to our text this morning. Chapter 1 of Mark, starting there in verse 16. It says this, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's something that's very interesting that's happening here with Jesus in calling these disciples or these followers to himself. There's something strange that's taking place culturally here. Because in this culture, this time period, the students would be seeking out a rabbi in which to follow. This is backwards to what Jesus is doing, isn't it? The teacher is seeking out the students, not the other way around. 
There's also another interesting thing that's taking place is that not only do the students seek out the teacher, but also the students commit themselves to the law, not to the teacher. Now, they want to learn from a certain teacher because he's committed to the law, and they want to commit themselves to the law. But what does Jesus call these men to do? He calls them to himself. He doesn't call them to something else but to himself. Now, why would Jesus not call them to the law? Why is he acting different than other rabbis? Why is he doing this with the law? It almost seems to be that he's looking at the law and calling people to himself and not to the law as if saying the law is unimportant. It's not really that relevant for their life. Is that what Jesus is doing? No. Remember what Mark has been teaching us about who Jesus is. This is crucial to our understanding. Mark has told his readers that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. Which means what? It means that Jesus is the one that the prophets were pointing to. He is the one that John the Baptist was pointing to. He is essentially saying that Jesus himself is the lawgiver. He is the one that has given the law to us. And so if the law has any value, it has to have a value attached to the person that gave the law. And Jesus is here in front of us, in front of these people, as the lawgiver. The law has value because Jesus has value. The scripture, it is telling us here that the law is not something that we see as unimportant, but we are seeing something that, again, was not seen or not really thought of even in the Old Testament in the realm of a person. A person that is coming to have far more value than the law itself. And this person is Jesus. He is this one that should be valued and put above that. And so whenever Jesus calls these men to himself, he's not calling them to something evil or wicked or even removing the law. No, he is calling them to the most valuable thing, and that is himself. Now, one observation to be made is that all four of these men that are being called, all four of them here, have the same profession. They are all fishermen. All four of them had the same occupation, but there seems a very, very distinct difference between these two sets of men. We have Simon and Andrew, then we have James and John. If you look at verse 20, you see that James and John seem to have a completely different background than what Simon and Andrew have. It seems to be, from verse 20, it tells us that they were working with their father, but also there was other people there, and they were hired servants. Now, that's a plural, which means there's at least more than two. We don't really know how many more there are, but historically, through church history, it's been thought and taught that James and John had a much wealthier background than Simon and Andrew. But notice this about the the two pairs. Both pairs are called by the same Jesus. Now, what what does this mean for us? It means that their value to Jesus was not based upon what they had to offer or upon what their families had to offer. This is good news, isn't it? In all reality, what do they really have to offer the Son of God anyways? What is it that they had to offer God in the flesh? What would they be able to bring to him to bribe him to accept them, to bring them into relationship with him, what would they have to offer him? They have nothing. There was absolutely nothing that they could bring to the table when Jesus called them. We learn later on in the Gospel of Mark that these guys aren't even good students. 
They're constantly getting the wrong answers. Even though Jesus has given them the answer, they still come to the wrong conclusions. Has this ever happened with your life? God has been telling you something again and again, and you keep getting the wrong conclusion. What is God's response to you? Ah, you big idiot. And cast you away? That is not what he does at all. And we see this happen with these men. Jesus still invites them in. He still deals with their, their ignorance, their silliness, their sinfulness. Jesus' choosing of them was not contingent upon them reaching a certain level that, hey, you guys are kind of down here right now. You need to get here and then you can follow me. That is not how he treated them. He didn't treat them as, well, you got to be from this part of the country and then I will call you to myself. No, he chooses them based upon his purpose and his plan of success, not theirs. Now, this is true for you as well, Christian. He did not choose you based upon your attractiveness, even though I know you have a t-shirt that says how attractive and wonderful you are. That seems to be a popular thing today as well. It's not based upon your amazing skill set or even the lack thereof. It was not based upon your family or your wealth. It was not based upon your denomination that you grew up in or the one that you didn't grow up in. His choosing of you was not about you. It was not about what you had to offer, but it was all in what he had to offer. It is all about him. Jesus takes the initiative here. It's not the other way around. He pursues them. He calls them. And this is all done out of his gracious character. This is who God is. This is who God is. He is gracious. Let's look at what the call meant for these men. Look at verse 17. It says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The first two words that Jesus uses here, follow me, they form a command. Follow me. Like I was explaining last week in verses 14 and 15, Jesus was not begging people into repentance and belief. This is not how he was talking to them. He was commanding them to repent and believe. Why? Because he is the king. The only appropriate response is instant obedience to the command. And this is the same response which is required whenever Jesus says, follow me, we should respond instantaneously. There was no begging of these men to follow him. It was simply a command to follow, and they did. This was not an invitation for them to check out all the cool places Jesus was going to go, all the neat things he was going to do, all the awesome Mediterranean food he was going to eat, as if this was some kind of Twitter feed or Facebook scrolling wonder. No, this was a call to something else. The Greek words that make up this idea of follow are these two words, dute apiso, which, trans, which literally translated means come or come now after. Come or come now after. Which is where we get our English word of follow. That's why we translate it as follow. What does this mean? It's a call to move. It's a call to do something. Christian, you have not been called to sit, soak, and sour. That is not what you've been called to do. And if that is your Christian faith, friend, you, you have missed something. 
And I hope you get what this is saying to us today. Let me ask you just a simple question. Are you following Jesus? Are you moving with Him? Or are you comfortable where you are currently? As if you're just scrolling your life away, just hitting the little emoji buttons left and right. Oh, I love that sermon. That was a great song. That was a great moment when he prayed that. Or are you moving with Christ? The second word of this command is specific to who we are to follow. He says, follow me. He doesn't say follow a spiritual person or somebody that has really good ideas. He doesn't say follow a list of do's and don'ts. These men were told to follow a person and only one person at that. And who is this one person? It is only Jesus Christ. There is no other priest. There is no other prophet. There is no other king to be followed. Jesus calls these men to follow him and him alone. Again, this is what John the Baptist was pointing people to. He was pointing them to Jesus, to the Lamb of God. I must decrease, he must increase. This is what must happen. Go to him. The command to follow is not a followership with no direction or no real purpose behind it either. Like following some celebrity's extravagant lifestyle and their habits on some sort of social media platform. No, Jesus calls them to follow him, but then he tells them what this followership will look like, what it will develop in them. And this is where the second part of this statement comes in. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, this phrase that is used here by Jesus is not unfamiliar to the Bible. It is not unfamiliar to the Old Testament. But an interesting thing that happens here with this phrase and this wording that's used of being a fisher of men in the Old Testament is that every time, every time that it was used, it was used in relation to bringing people into judgment. But what does Jesus do with this phrase? Again, we know because of verse 15, it's telling us that there's, there's good news. What's the good news? That there's judgment. No, the good news is that there should be repentance and belief in the gospel. That there is a judgment that is coming, but there is an escape out of judgment. What Jesus is calling these men into is a place where they can be trained to bring people to salvation. Instead of being trained to bring people into judgment, which is not at all the case, Jesus is going to make them into men who help people escape judgment. Now, this is the idea that we see there in verse 15 when, with Jesus preaching, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Salvation has come to the world through Jesus. But people must repent and they must believe in Jesus. Again, follow me. It's specific to a person. In order for people to be saved, they have to believe in Christ. Judgment can be escaped, but there's only one way of that escape, and what is it? It's Jesus. As Jesus says, I am the way. Now, look at the the first part of the statement that Jesus uses here, and I will make you become. When Jesus was calling these men to follow him, it was not without a very intentional purpose behind it. He's not just saying, hey, I, I need some followers. You guys want to follow me? You guys just want to check out where I'm going, where I'm headed? 
No, he, he gives them a purpose with this following. They were going to gain something new. They were going to become something new. They were already fishermen, but they had no idea how to fish for men. And what does Jesus call them to? To follow him, and in this calling, they were going to learn something new, to do something new. But these things will only be learned and developed if they are following Jesus. If they're not following Jesus, how can they learn these things? How can they become this? Well, the answer is they can't. Now, some people, they want to be in ministry or they want to be doing things in the name of Jesus, but they really don't want to follow Jesus. They want maybe the, the idea of being an authority as a pastor or, or have an influence in people's lives, but they really don't want to follow Jesus. Jesus commands you to be a follower, and then as a result of following, this takes place. This starts to happen. It's not the other way around. There are no shortcuts to becoming a fisher of men. You must first be a follower of Jesus to be a fisher of men. We cannot get these out of order. As a follower of Jesus, we must be willing to be formed by Jesus. A follower of Jesus is one who is about the business of Jesus. If you notice that both of these sets, both pairs here, they were about their business. Both of these were about either their business or the family's business. But now, with Jesus saying, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men, he is saying, I want you to take part in my business. I want you to be about my business. Now, we too should be about the business of Jesus. If we are to be followers of Jesus, there are far too many people that are claiming to be followers. But in all reality, they have never done any fishing of men. They've never done this. I hear excuses all the time of why people don't evangelize or why they don't talk about the gospel with other people. And and there are some legitimate excuses that they have and things that they say which need to be worked out, which need to be taught through. And and that's, that's okay. But I think a lot of the times what's more likely is the case is that people are making excuses for not fishing for people directly because it is linked to the fact that they're not actually following Jesus. Not saying that they're not a Christian but they are not following after him. They're not coming now after Jesus. There's some sort of delay that's happening. Because to follow Jesus means that we will become this. We will be fishers of men. It is only a natural thing that happens when we're following Jesus. So ask yourself the question this morning. Am I not fishing for people because I'm not actually following Jesus? It's a good question to ask yourself. I want you to think of these two sets here and how Simon and Andrew, they had an occupation. James and John, they had an occupation. It was a family occupation, and they were occupational fishermen. And now what Jesus has called them into is a new occupation, right? Jesus does not call them into recreational fishing. Now, I know some of you enjoy fishing, you love fishing. I don't know if any of you are actually professional fishermen, like you provide fish for the the village, if you will. These men, this is what they were doing. They were providing fish for their families and for for their, their surrounding communities. It was their occupation. They were not recreationally fishing. 
But why is it so many times that we, we talk about being a follower of Jesus, but we only refer into following him as if we are recre- recreationally following him? As if we are recreational fishermen. The idea of fishing for people is not one of recreation. It is one of occupation. This is what our life should be about. It is not a matter of, well, you know, I feel like it today. Well, the weather's kind of nice, or it's not that nice. Well, the water's up, or the water's down, or you know that one spot's kind of, it's kind of hot right now, I'll go out there now. The idea of being a fisher for men is occupational, not recreational. It's not a matter of, well, I, I don't really feel like it. Being a follower of Jesus changes our occupation, not meaning that you need to become a pastor, not meaning that you need to become a missionary, but what it does mean that in your current occupation, you need to change your mind about how you look at that. Of all of what my life is oriented around, is it oriented around recreationally fishing for Jesus, or is it occupational? This will change the way that we look at people and how we talk to people. If you look at the last words of verse 17, it indicates to us that to serve Jesus involves serving people. If we say that we are a follower of Christ, that means we need to serve others. A life of following Jesus is a life that involves care and compassion for other people. It involves being inconvenienced for the sake of others, and it involves making sacrifices so that others can come to know Jesus Christ. We just had a team of people come back from Aruba. Thank God, you guys are back, by the way. And they went, again, with a purpose. A purpose to serve others. To do those things which I just, I just described. Of making sacrifice in order that other people can come to know who Jesus Christ is. That is an idea there of, of occupational fishing. Of what it might look like in your life. Now, let me, group participation time, okay? Just a simple raise of hand. Not asking you to stand up or do jumping jacks. How many of you have actually been fishing? Is that almost everybody? Okay. All right, good. This is going to work. Okay, so if you've been fishing, what have you caught? Hopefully fish, right? Okay, so if, if you come to my pond, mostly you get weeds, unfortunately. Um, But in fishing, you catch fish, and in catching fish, they're not real sanitary, are they? Like, they're not the the cleanest thing that you've ever dealt with, and they're not the the best smelling. I've never pulled a fish out of the water and be like, oh, oh, it smells like a warm spring day, or whatever scent you love, or, oh, cinnamon. I've never had that experience. What I usually get is that fish smell. I get the mess, I get the fish, I get the stink. I also sometimes get poked in the hand because I grab it wrong. And it's like, "Ah." Or if you're fishing with children, you get a hook in the back of your neck, right? So this is all part of fishing, though. Now, hopefully you can see this quick turn here in how we as Christians should look at this. We should not have an expectation of whenever we fish for people that we will not get a mess, that we will not get a bunch of stink, on us because people are messy aren't they isn't your life messy if it's not then quit posting things on facebook it's ruining my life we need to think in different terms of oh well they're gonna mess up the carpet or they're gonna act like this and they're gonna treat us like 
Yeah, they're fish. That's what they do. We should not have a a strange expectation upon sinners, not being sinners. We need to treat them as what they are and help them come to know who Jesus is, that he could clean up the mess, that he could clean up the stink. And this this is why we come together collectively on a Sunday morning, because we are messy. This is why your involvement in a local church is so important and so essential, because we are messy people. We need each other to be encouraged to deal with our mess and to deal with the mess of other people in order for us to be a fisher of men, it means that we have to get messy. The mess is part of it. That should be our expectation. Now there's verses 18 through 20 here at the end that kind of wrap things up with these verses. It's the response of these men that's important. We have this this picture of Jesus walking along the, the, the Sea of Galilee and, and he's calling to these men. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then verses 18 through 20, we see the response of these men. So look again at this passage, at verse 18. It says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's one word that gets repeated throughout Mark that you've already seen several times in 20 verses. And it's this word, immediately. Immediately. The response to to this call of Jesus, it was an immediate one. Simon and Andrew, they leave their nets. You notice that there's no record here of of conditions being addressed, of negotiations happening. Let me ask you, is this how you are following Jesus? With conditions, with negotiations? Or have have you been following Jesus, trying to make all these conditions, all these negotiation tactics, and that you say things like, well, you know, I will follow you, Jesus, but... Don't touch this area of my life. You can't deal with these things over here. Don't mess up this. You know, I hear stories of people all the time. They, they get convicted and, and they, they, they pray to God, say, God, wherever you want to send me, just not to, and then they fill in the blank, right? But not to that place or not over there, not to those people. Don't forget who we are talking about here. As Mark has already been explaining to us, we are talking about the King of Kings, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Let me ask you, on what grounds do you have to try to negotiate with Him? On what authority do you have to try to lay out some conditions for Him to follow? We have none, do we? So why then do we keep acting like we do? Why then do we keep acting like we have some sort of power or authority over God that we can command him around and say, only this far, only to this extent. He is the king. He does what he wants. And to respond to Jesus' calling of you to follow means that you are going to have to accept that he is totally in control and that he has complete authority over your life. 
It's as if Jesus was handing these men a completely blank contract with just a signature line at the bottom. Follow me. Now, how would you respond if Jesus handed you that? Would you be like, eh, Jesus, I don't know if you, if you got like invisible ink going on, but there's nothing here. Like, I need to know what I'm getting into. I need to know what I'm going to experience. I need to know where I'm going to go. I need to know what's really going to be involved in all this following stuff. We don't have this at all. All we have is these men signing their name. I will follow. Christianity means you must surrender to Jesus Christ. It means that your life is in his hands. Now, both pairs, they end up following immediately. They sign immediately. And both, both of these pairs, they end up leaving their nets behind. But these nets, they represent so much more than just fishing. They were representing their livelihood, their family tradition, their identity. It was exactly who these people were. Think of James and John. This is a, a family tradition for them. This is who these men were. Let me ask you, what would these nets represent for you? If you were there on the shore of Galilee and Jesus called to you, what would your net represent? Would they represent your hobbies, your income, your family or family approval, or your traditions? Would it be your identity that he's calling you to let go of? When Jesus calls us to follow him, follow him it will be costly. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Just a few chapters there. It says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you're to be a real follower of Jesus, there must be a denial of self. You must be willing to forego and forfeit everything. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I think you said everything. Surely you don't mean everything. I, I do. Because of verse 36. Jesus says what there? He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus says to gain the whole world, which would also include what parts of the world? All of them, right? Which would mean... If you have this mindset of, well, I'm not trying to gain the whole world, just this, this part in independence, not even all of independence, like, like just my block, not even my block, just like part of my house, maybe. Maybe it's just the living room. If you're trying to cling to anything in this world, you cannot follow Jesus. He is saying, you're going to forfeit your soul by clinging to these things. There's too many people walking around as followers of Jesus, but they are dragging behind them their nets. They haven't let go of them. 
Can you imagine this happening with Peter? Simon Peter and, and Andrew, that Jesus comes by and says, follow me and I will, I will make you become fishers of men. And Jesus looks back and here's Simon and Andrew carrying their nets. What do you think Jesus' response to that would be? Drop the nets. What are you doing? No, but Jesus, it, it, they're not that heavy. Like You know how much time, you know how much money we have in these things? I can't just let go of this. I think Jesus would say quite clearly, drop the nets. Let me, let me say to you pretty directly, drop your net. Quit dragging this thing around thinking, oh, I can follow Jesus. It's not that burdensome. I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty, pretty smart. I know how to wrap this thing up and carry it over my shoulder. I, I can do this. No, Jesus says to follow me and I'll give you a new occupation, a different mindset, a different way to think, a different way to live so many times we will not do that because we will not drop the net. We must live open-handed. But how open-handed do we have to live? Let me take you to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 37. Jesus explains how open-handed we must live. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword For I have come to set a man against his father and daughter, and the daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, which shouldn't be hard. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does Jesus say about living open-handed? He is telling us that the most precious of things to us, the most precious of things, should not compromise our following of him. They should not get in the way of following him. Following Jesus might mean disappointing your parents, or even severing ties with them because you are going to follow Jesus and not them. Following Jesus might mean that you have to cut ties with old friends or even break off a relationship because they are not going to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not an easy following. But notice what Jesus says in those verses repeatedly. He says, is not worthy of me. Which means the moment that you are clinging to things is the same moment in which you are saying this thing or this person is worth more than Jesus. And how silly is that? When we actually say it, we're like, oh, that's, that's dumb. Like he is God in the flesh and I'm going to say that this person's worth more than him? But we don't ever say it sometimes. We just do it. And we, then we wonder why. Like, why can't I really follow him? Why am I struggling to follow him? Because you're hanging onto a net. You're dragging this thing behind you. You're not living open-handed with him. Jesus demands our total allegiance. Yes, we should love our families. We are commanded to do so. Yes, we should love other people. We are commanded to do so. But in that love for our families and for other people, it should never overrule our love for Christ. It should never get in the way of that. It should never compare to that. So this morning, let me leave you with a couple of questions I want you to think about 
First is this, are you following Jesus? Simply that, are you following him? And a follow-up to that is, what evidence is there that you're following him? Jesus says that I will make you become fishers of men. Do you have evidence of that? The second question I want you to think on is, have you let go of your nets? Has your response been immediate to Jesus, or are you hesitating? Yeah, but he's asking me to do that. It's okay. God's sovereign. Like I preached last week, like from verses 14 and 15, the time is now to follow the king. The time is now for us to be obedient. I mean, let me tell you to do this this morning. Think about that excuse that you're hanging on to, that net that you're hanging on to. I want you to think of that. And as we have a time of response, I want you to take that excuse that you have and take it directly to God and say, God, here it is. This is why I can't do what you're telling me to do. This is why I can't follow you like you want me to follow. Here's my net. I want you to take that to him and verbalize that to him in prayer. But here's also what I want you to do. I want you to listen to what he says to you to do. What is he going to tell you? You already know the answer. The worship team is going to come at this point. And we want to give you a moment to reflect upon what we have just heard, what we have been called to do by Christ. And as Stephen plays, we just want to spend some time just reflecting upon who Christ is and who we've been called to follow, his worth which he has, and how that should change us and transform us. Let me pray for us, and then Stephen's going to play, and we're going to spend just a few moments just reflecting, and then we're going to sing together. Let's pray. Well, Father, as your word has shown us and told us, Christ is the way. You've told us that there's only one way, and in that way, we must follow that way. We have been called to follow Jesus Christ. But in that following, we've been called to be different, to think differently, to have a different occupation. And it's to be a fisher of people. God, burden our hearts for those that don't know you. Burden our minds for those that we do know and we've had opportunity and we've been neglecting that. God, I pray you would help us identify and see what the net is that we are dragging around. We need to let go of it. We thank you for who you are and that your spirit is working in us, purging us of our sin, purging us of our mess. And that, God, we we can't clean ourselves up. That's not our job or my job as a pastor, but the job belongs to you. You are the one that sanctifies and changes who we are in our minds and in our hearts. And so, God, I pray that your spirit move among us, that we would be a different people because of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.